My name is Elizabeth. I just want you to know I never listened to I Doubt It with Jesse Dollamore because he reminds me of Sarah Limbaugh, and I don't like him. Bye. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. <laughs> All right. Holy shit. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Monday and welcome to this 166th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me is the lady who just said, no, that makes me madder than most things do. (laughs) My beautiful and intelligent and apparently very easily agitated co-host, Brittany Page. Um, I was joking when I said that. You most certainly, well, it's very likely you were joking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad that we can agree. But you can't make me laugh immediately after I hit the, the red circle record button. Well, it happens all the time. How yeah. often do you open the show with your laughter? Well, a lot. A lot. <laughs> Before we get started, there's a few things I'd like to do in in the order of housekeeping. One is drop the phone number, which I will probably do another five times. 657-464-7609. That is our number. If you have something you'd like to add to this or any prior episode, you can do it there. Fewer than three-minute voicemail. Or you can email us a voice memo from your smartphone. I doubt it at dollamore.com. Before we get started or go any further, I need to thank our newest Patreon supporter, Ryan. Thank you very much for joining us, for partnering with us to help move the conversation forward. We appreciate you very, very much. Ryan, getting it done. Getting it done. The other thing that I would like to to talk about again, and this is going to be beating a dead horse. And oh, can I interrupt you for a second? What would be uh, new? Uh, we have been very much... Jesse has been very much delayed on the sending of the stickers, Sitch. Isn't uh, that right? Not very much delayed. I think we're... Somewhat delayed. A, a week or so. Okay. And so- one has to go internationally. Okay. So... Now they'll know that it's <laughs> Apparently even more Apparently that's delayed. an excuse, right? <laughs> well, we will be for sure mailing those out tomorrow. Tomorrow, because Brittany is apparently... I'm on it now. She is now taking charge of that duty mm-hmm. henceforth. Yes. Even though I write the notes. you d- Well, because I have horrible handwriting. No it one will true. be able to read the note that I write. That actually is a valid excuse. Your handwriting is fucking terrible. It is. And it's genetic. Your handwriting is like a zombie apocalypse on paper. It's it's very horrific. Sometimes I can't even read it when I go back to try to read my own handwriting. You know, when you look back, and I'm talking to the audience now, not you. Okay. <laughs> but when you look back... In, in, to, to like elementary school or junior high mm-hmm. 
and I'm not talking to you. Oh, okay. Sorry. I won't respond. I won't listen then. Pipe down over there. <laughs> okay. And and you remember your, your schoolmates, their handwriting. And then maybe your girlfriend that you had in second grade. And then again in, in, in your senior year in high school. And their handwriting, it matured along with the human being. Britney's didn't do that. She still looks as though she's a second grader who writes. Okay, I don't think that's accurate. Your growth stunted hand- handwriting-wise. Well, here's the thing. I used to watch... It's as though you're having a grand mal seizure while you write. <laughs> I can't imagine what your cursive looks like. Oh, I can't even do it. Do you have cursive? No, I, tr- I had to do it to take the GRE. You have to sign a statement. You have to write a full statement in cursive. And I was worried I was going to be late for the GRE because it took so long for me to write this <laughs> in cursive. Hopefully there's no Z's in there. I totally forgot how to do everything. I just made all the letters like connect and I figured that was good enough if, as long as they were all touching and it looked kind of like flowy, then it was fine. It's weird that they would make you do it in cursive. Apparently, Is that because if they have to go back and analyze the handwriting to make sure it was you? I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. It t- makes it official when it's cursive, but... This isn't supposed to be something we were talking about, but I want to defend myself. I was never one of those girls. I All would, right, moving on. I would watch. <laughs> I would watch girls like practice their handwriting in school, and they would develop this very beautiful, cutesy font that they would write in. And I never did that. I didn't. Like with hearts for eyes and smiley faces in the O's and stuff. Yeah, I didn't practice that. And then I think because so much of my life has been spent on the computer that I haven't really had to write as much, that that also affects my ability to write well. Somewhere I read an article where that's the case, that that this new generation having grown up with keyboarding Mm -hmm. is... Like when I was in high school, it was typing. That was a class that people took. Mm -hmm. I never did. But high, it was it was typing. Now it's keyboarding because it's there's nobody uses fucking typewriters anymore. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm dating myself. I've used a typewriter, but it 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 does go to this new generation of which you're obviously we've spilled the beans. You're a part mm-hmm. um, having terrible handwriting because they don't write very much. I will say this. When I write the notes, because I handwrite the notes to our Patreon supporters, mm-hmm. when I handwrite even the short, short note, we're talking like six lines, seven lines telling them how much we appreciate them and everything, my hand fucking aches after that. I shake my hand out like, oh, God. I can't imagine a man like Thomas Jefferson who wrote like 25,000 letters in his life. Uh. No keyboard there. That's just pen to paper. Well, and in in grad school for our finals, we have to do written finals. And last year we did a final and two finals that were like two hours long. And just writing. It was full on writing the entire time up until the last minute. And my last, like I, I knew there was five minutes left. So I was just uh, trying to get it done. <laughs> and my handwriting was just massive, just horrible. Yeah, I don't even know do how you have they read un- it. Unlimited paper. No. Really? So that you have to manage the size of your font as well as what you write? You have to manage everything and get it done. They're not fucking around. All right. Well, 
I hope that our audience doesn't fuck around. You like that? Uh, <laughs> Pretty good, right? I guess. I hope you guess. I think that was a beautifully crafted, artful segue. Sir, you have not been being very kind to me so far, so I'm I'm going to take a little bit to get warmed up here. Well, okay? I hope our audience doesn't fuck around when they call in and submit their Thanksgiving submissions. They're submitting their submissions. Uh, what are you thankful for? Tell us and go listen to the example that's on YouTube and it is pinned to the top of our Facebook page. And I think it's exactly one month away. Isn't, it is. Isn't Thanksgiving on the 25th? And tomorrow will be the 26th. Okay, so you have less than a month. So if you're worried that it's too early to send it in, it is not. Well, and if you, listen, if you send it in the day before Thanksgiving, it's not going to, I'm not putting it in. It needs to be in advance. And I'm also going to drop this as a reminder at the end of the show. But call in 657-464-7609. Call in with the things for which you are thankful. Or email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtedatdollamore.com. This includes our global listeners, our international listeners, just because it is a specifically... American holiday, it doesn't mean that you cannot submit for the things that you're thankful. And here's a good idea. What I did last year is I surprised my best friend by calling her dad and having him write something for her because she was getting ready to have her first child. And then I had her listen to it and uh, explosive tears coming out of her face while she was at work because of the surprise. (laughs) So you can do something similar for whoever you care about, right? You can write something and then you can surprise them. Look at you getting all manipulative about it. That's awesome. Well, it's a fun fun little exercise and it's nice to hear what other people are thankful for and give everyone a, a new perspective. Yeah, don't wait for everyone else to submit. Get on it and do it. So... What we were supposed to talk about in our intro segment is something, a conversation that Brittany and I had, we're 10 minutes in here, (laughs) Uh, it's a conversation Brittany and I had when we watched someone trip. We were sitting at an intersection in in a car, at at a traffic light, and we watched someone at the kitty corner trip over the curb. I, of course, laughed maniacally. And Brittany was a little bit more concerned about it. And that sparked a conversation between us about how weird it is, the impulse to laugh at someone when they trip. No, I think what's weird is the impulse to feel embarrassed when you trip. Oh, right. When you're, because so you think it's p- perfectly natural that I was an asshole and laughed at them for tripping. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I think people generally laugh at other people when they trip. But that's another weird thing because... Tripping is an accident. It's not someone's fault. It doesn't mean they're an idiot. It like says nothing about their character. Yeah. But people laugh at someone when they trip. And then we also, we feel so stupid and embarrassed when we trip. At least I know I do. Maybe not presently because I recently tripped and then it was just kind of like, oh, I'm glad I, I didn't fall down. But <laughs> I remember when I was in high school, um, I was getting the mail And I walked out to the street to get the mail. And then I was walking back up to the house looking at the mail. And I walked straight face first into a tree that was in my yard. 
Did you know the tree was there? Yeah. <laughs> what? I wasn't looking. See, you should have been embarrassed because that is dumb. And so I immediately looked around, was panicking to see if anyone had seen this because I was horrified that I walked face first into this tree. Right. But it's the same reaction that one has when they're tripping, even though it has nothing, it's no, through no fault of their own. Right. Did that trip occur? Well, I, there have been times, and this, after we had the conversation, this happened to me, that I have a giant bottle of ibuprofen, mm-hmm. and it was covered by a towel. And I stepped on the towel that was on the ground, and full weight on the towel, and uh, I, <laughs> I, it was a weird, goofy, like, uh, like I was going to trip and fall. No one was in the room. Uh-huh. Thankfully, no one was in the room. <laughs> But it was a weird, I remember thinking, oh, that's what Brittany's talking about. Mm-hmm. Because it was no fault of my own, but th- I think that's why it's funny, to, to bring it back to my point. The reason it's funny is because it is, it's like a panicked, unexpected thing that happens. Because mm-hmm. no one's expecting to trip. Mm-hmm. Unless you go fucking ice skating or something. Then well, you're, you're expecting to fall on your ass. Unless you go ice skating and your name is anything other than Jesse Dollamore, who is apparently an expert ice skater, just right off the bat, first time out. <laughs> I didn't I didn't bring up ice skating for a little essence of the D. You're just a regular Tanya Harding. Well, if you mean I like to have women's knees beaten into submission with lead pipes so they don't make the Olympic team, then yes. Okay, you're a regular Christy Yamaguchi. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll I'll take it. It was good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. But I think it is. It's the grace thing. That first of all, it's almost a miracle that we're able to just walk upright anyway. We're not on all fours. It is a miracle. And then when you see someone trip, I'm making fun of you. I think everyone knows. Okay, that you're making fun. I don't know. I, I, I do think it's weird that we that we laugh, but th- there's got to be some explanation behind it mm-hmm. other than just sheer cruelty. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure... Because I do have a, a relatively perverse sense of humor. I laugh at things that normal people don't laugh at. Yeah, but it is... I mean, it's those blooper reels, the America's Funniest Home Videos. When, yeah, wiffle know... ball to the... Wiffle bat to the balls. Yeah. Right? Yep. People love that. <laughs> People love that. Yeah, they do. Except you're if you're the balls. <laughs> yeah, the or balls. Or the possessor of the balls. Mm-hmm. Not a fan. No good. All right, let's move on to a little follow-up. Martin Shkreli, the hedge fund manager, former hedge fund manager and now pharmaceutical executive, who we recently talked about increasing the the cost of a of an anti- viral or an anti some kind of drug that fights that that fights parasitic diseases he raised the price from 1350 per dose to over 750 dollars per dose well in the wake of his idiocy and his meltdown of of public relations he has been faced by a competitor who has now undercut him by a large amount. Imprimis Pharmaceuticals? Yeah, let's go with that. 
A specialty pharmaceutical company based in San Diego announced today that it has made an alternative to Daraprim that cost about a buck a pill nice. or $99 for a hundred pill supply. Quote, while respect... While we respect Turing's right to charge patients and insurance companies whatever it believes is appropriate, there may be more cost-effective compounded options for medications such as Daraprim. Mark L. Baum, CEO of Imprimis, said in a news release. Good for them. The market has answered. They saw that there was a, a market for this, that there was a need for this, that there was a demand for this. And the free market answered... And they're going to fucking shut down Turing Pharmaceuticals, or at least the division that markets Daraprim. That's awesome. Good news. Don't you think? Very good news. And yes. (laughs) All right. Well, before we move on to the world-famous Dollamocracy segment... I have a a British lady who wants to tell you about Patreon. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. So, so much to get to today in the world of American politics, in the world of American presidential politics. Dolomocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. One more of my amazing prognostications has come to pass. Lincoln Chafee is no longer in the race for President of the United States. And the following speech should give you, if you were questioning why a man like this would drop out, and not be a viable candidate, (laughs) the following speech announcing his quitting should clue you in slightly as to why he was not viable for an American electorate. Now, as you may know, I've been campaigning on a platform of prosperity through peace. But after much thought, I have decided to end my campaign for the president today. Thank you. But I would like to take this opportunity one last time to advocate for a chance be given to peace. Since today is all about women's leadership, it reminds me of one of my favorite Greek plays, Lysistrata, a comedy from 400 BC by Aristophanes. Now in that play, a group of women, fed up with the warmongering of their husbands, agree to, and how do I say this appropriately, withhold their favors (laughs) until peace returns. And it worked. They ended the Peloponnesian Wars. Well, anyway, let's talk about the present. Wow. Really? I mean, how, how much better an example 
of how he was not connecting to American voters than that. (laughs) (laughs) He's talking about plays that ended the, that talked about ending the Peloponnesian war. Mm -hmm. It's he, I don't think he had his finger on the pulse. If you know what I mean? Yeah. 538 did an article and said that, um, of course he dropped out of the race, but they said, um, at least his polling was consistent. And he never got higher than 1% in any live interview national survey. Hmm. Well, So that is why he is no longer running for the nomination. Yeah. Well, speaking of the polls, it appears that Ben Carson has overtaken Donald Trump, at least in Iowa. Yes, Carson is now at 28% and Trump is at 20%. Wow. And that's outside of the the margin of error. Yes. And in third, in case you're curious, is Marco Rubio. Wow. And in fourth is Ted Cruz. Marco Rubio (laughs) has 13% and Ted Cruz has 10%. So Jeb Bush is not even in that group. Um, no, because fifth place is Rand Paul with 6%, and then Jeb Bush has 5%, which means he is tied with Carly Fiorina. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, you know, people talk about getting money out of politics, which I agree that there needs to be something done, but, uh, his money's not helping him in Iowa, so maybe they need to readdress exactly what to do there. So the Quinnipiac polls also asked... In which areas do they believe the candidates would be most successful compared to their rivals? And Ben Carson leads in only one area. 31% of Republicans say he can best handle social issues. Um, (laughs) We'll get to that in a bit. And on handling other issues, Trump tops Carson on the economy, on taxes, on illegal immigration. And Rubio and Trump are close on foreign policy. So people are still believing that Donald Trump is best for the economy, taxes, and illegal immigration. Yeah, they're just not sounding off with their support to pollsters. But what's amazing is uh, Donald Trump and, and, well, Ben Carson, I should use his name first now that he's leading. Ben Carson and Donald Trump are leading, and neither of those individuals have received any endorsements whatsoever. Right, which 538.com holds up as a a high watermark for for support, for viability as a candidate. Yeah, even though Jeb Bush has the most endorsements. Right. And sitting squarely in sixth or seventh place. Yeah. (laughs) Well, talking about the social issues, which you just raised, Ben Carson was on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd this weekend, and he was, I almost said grilled, but, you know, these are valid reasonable questions to ask about someone's position about something as important as abortion. And it went off the rails real quick. And I think anytime someone uses the phrase, I'm a reasonable person, it should clearly indicate that they probably are not. Does life begin at conception? I believe it does. Does that mean um, who's right, I guess, should be superseded, the mother or the unborn child? Whose rights, who has greater rights? In the ideal situation, the mother should not believe that the baby is her enemy. 
and should not be looking to terminate the baby. You know, things are set up in such a way that the, the person in the world who has the greatest interest in protecting the baby is the mother. We've allowed the purveyors of the vision to make mothers think that that baby is their enemy and that they have a right to kill it. Can you see how perverted that line of thinking is? Yeah, I can also see how wrong it is. <laughs> so I think that's the first place to start. Well, I wanted to stop it because it is odd to me that he gets asked a direct question. Who has more rights mm-hmm. on, you know, if we're looking at this, and this is a legitimate question. If a woman is two days pregnant and decides she wants to terminate that group of cells, you know, I think most reasonable people, the vast majority of reasonable people don't have a problem with that. But if a baby is nine months old, that question becomes more shifty. It's not as easily answered. Nine months in the womb. Right. That's right. Yeah. Nine, yeah. The, when the, oh, I say baby, when the fetus is nine months old. Maybe I wasn't listening to you. Developed nine months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I believe that answer, it's a legitimate intellectual question, philosophical question to ask. Mm-hmm. And rather than answer it in a reasonable way, he says, well, in an ideal situation, in a perfect world, all things can blah, blah, blah. He doesn't, he doesn't answer it honestly. Yeah, well, we don't have an ideal situation. Right. We don't have a perfect world. We have a world where we have these very complex, complicated situations, and we need you, who's going to be you know, in charge of legislation, to be giving us what direction you see for the country. Right. And saying that, that mothers have been conditioned, in the case of rape, to view their baby as the enemy, right? That is that is not the situation. It, that I mean, I don't even understand how someone can say that. They're not thinking this thing inside me is the enemy. I need it out. They're thinking, well, I was just raped, and now I'm pregnant as a, as a result of this rape. I don't know that person, but they're a rapist, the father of my baby. Right. Maybe this won't go so well. I mean, I don't know how the thinking falls out, but I don't think it's the baby's the enemy. It's uh. Well, the conversation continues, and it leads into those very topics. What if somebody has an unwanted pregnancy? Should they have the right to terminate it? No. No. Think about this. Uh, During slavery, and I know that's one Uh. of those words you're not supposed to say, but I'm saying it. During slavery, a lot of the slave owners thought that they had the right to do whatever they wanted to that slave. Anything that they chose to do. And... uh, You know, what if the abolitionist had said, you know, I don't believe in slavery. I think it's wrong. But you guys do whatever you want to do. Where would we be? Definitively. Do you want to see Roe v. Wade overturned? Ultimately, I would love to see it overturned. And that means all abortions illegal? Or is there still an exception that you would have? I'm a reasonable person. And if people can uh, come up with a reasonable... Uh, explanation of why they would like to kill a baby. Life and health of the mother? Uh, Again, that's an extraordinarily rare situation. Uh, But if in that very rare situation it occurred, I believe there's room to discuss that. Rape and incest? Uh, Rape and incest, I would not 
be in favor of killing a baby because the baby came about in that way. And all you have to do is go and look up the many stories of people who have led very useful uh, lives who were the result of rape or incest. Okay, so a couple of things. Um, <laughs> oh, only a couple. Okay, I really, I'm trying to really understand why he started talking about slavery. Can you help me understand what the connection was between the slavery and the abortion issue? I don't know. People I, were allowed to do whatever they wanted to slaves. What is that? Well, th- that's my issue. It, you know, if we're, we're going to talk about, if he wants to bring slavery into this, and he's basing his decisions and his opinions about abortion on his religion, let's turn to his religion about slavery. Exodus 21, 20, and 21 says, When a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod so hard that the slave dies under his hand, he shall be punished. If, however, the slave survives for a day or two, he is not to be punished since the slave is his own property. This is the Bible, folks. That's Old Testament. Well, here's the scripture from the here's the scripture from the New Testament. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. So am I to believe that you're just as confused about the connection between the two as me? Oh, of course. Okay. But I'm just, if we want to talk about slavery, and he's such a godly Christian man, it makes no sense. So the other thing that I have an issue with that he said is all all you have to do is look at the number of people who have lived successfully as, you know, coming through being the child of a, a rape. Right. He said, all you need to do is look at the people that have been successful that weren't aborted in the case of rape. Okay. What? Come on. I mean, honestly, someone that is his age and And of his intellect. That's right. Yeah. Cannot be making this argument. I mean, this is so fallacious that it's hard to even deal with it. But all you have to do is also look at the people who were not successful in those cases. Right. Then would that be an argument against it? No. Okay, that would still not be an argument against it. So well, what you're saying is not an argument for it. If you reverse the exact same logic that he's using, it would be an excuse for eugenics, which if you want to talk about the Nazis or slavery, he always brings these things back to that. That's what it would be. Because if you reverse it, it would be look at all the people. Like if, if, if pro-abortion people, if abortion advocates were to say, Think about all of the drug addicts and criminals that we're eliminating. Everybody lose their fucking minds. But right. because he is Mr. Christian guy and he says, we'll just think about all the Einsteins and the different cures for cancer and all the good people. Come on. It, it doesn't you can't have it both ways. Right. Because the issue really is about is it or is it not the woman's right to choose what she does with that pregnancy and at what point can she no longer have the right to choose what she does with that pregnancy that is the discussion right and it's a valid discussion you don't need to talk about you know these things that he's talking about nothing that he responded with is at the heart of the issue and i think that's what i have a problem with right although he does 
you know, he's he doesn't skirt it. He's he was asked, "Do you think?" Right. That, he gave a direct yeah, answer. Yeah, he said, "No, nope." If you get raped, if you get brutally, violently raped and become pregnant as a result of that horrific crime and assault, you will be forced by the state to carry that child to term against your will. That is his position. Let's be clear. Well, moving on with Donald Trump firing at Ben Carson and in the same realm as religion... Donald Trump had this to say while on the stump, and I want you to listen to his very Donald Trump-esque way of speaking and him taking his very, well, I wouldn't even say subtle, but his shots at Ben Carson's religion. Two days ago, a day ago, I get these two polls. Remember, I don't believe them. I don't believe them. In (laughs) Iowa, one place, and I love Iowa. And... Look, I don't have to say it. I'm Presbyterian. Can you believe it? Nobody believes I'm Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian. Four times. Four times. That's down the middle of the road, folks, in all fairness. I mean, Seventh-day Adventists, I don't know about. I just don't know about. But, so I'm Presbyterian. I get these polls, and I'm losing my little bit. So, five times. Headlines all over the place. For two days, headlines, Trump losing in polls. I just want every, I, in fact, I have like this great memory, but there's so many that I'm winning, I wanted to write them down because I want all of them. Uh, seriously, I do think that he has likely had a rib removed so he can fillet himself. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. So, so here's what he does. First of all, he says in this very short clip that he is a Presbyterian. <laughs> Five times, five, maybe six times, five, five or six times, five times. Yeah. Five. Yeah. And while he's doing that, he's saying why, well, this, that's a middle of the road religion. It's an average religion. It's a respectable religion. It's well known. It's of no danger to any of you within the sound of my voice. Right. All the things you said following middle of the road are implicit in what he's saying. That's right. Right. And then he says, but seventh day Adventist without even naming Ben Carson says, oh, it's Seventh-day Adventist. I don't know about that. I'm safe. I'm good to go. You have nothing to worry about with my faith. But Seventh-day Adventist, I don't know about that. It's clear, based on the benefit of the commonality of language in which we share, we know what the fuck he's talking about. Well, he was on with with George Stephanopoulos on ABC on this week on ABC. And he was asked about this and in classic Donald Trump fashion, he weaseled his way or to the best of his ability, tried to weasel his way away from what he was actually saying. For joining us again this morning, Mr. Trump. And let's begin uh, with those comments about Ben Carson's religion, Seventh-day Adventist. I don't know about that. What were you trying to say? Well, I don't. I know nothing about it, really. Uh, I'm a Presbyterian, and I had mentioned that. And I did say I don't know about it. And, in fact, those are my exact words. So I just really don't know about uh, the Seventh-day Adventist. I just 
you know, and that's what I said. But but why raise it at all? You know, some conservatives claim the Seventh Day Adventists are not Christian. Were you trying to send a dog whistle to them because Ben Carson is beating you among evangelicals in Iowa? No, not at all. In fact, I think nationwide I'm beating Ben with the evangelicals. But uh, no, not at all. I just don't know about that particular religion. That, back to my question: Why raise it? I, I, because I just said I don't know about it. I, I said nothing about it. I would never say bad. I'd never say bad about any religion. And as you know, in fact, I think you just had a quote on. Uh, I said exactly, I don't know about it. So, you know. Ben Carson that's has not, asked. That's not an insult. Ben Carson has asked for an apology. Will you give it to him? Well, I didn't say anything bad about it. I just don't know about it. You know, I would certainly give an apology if I said something bad about it, but I didn't. All I said was, I don't know about it. So you're not going to apologize to Ben Carson? It's just, it's honestly insulting because he's treating everyone like we're stupid. Yeah. And we clearly are able to understand what you were doing and drawing a comparison and juxtaposing yourself and your religion with this other religion. And just because you said, I don't know about it in front of it, doesn't mean that you meant, I don't know about it in the way that he's intending in that interview. Right. Just be, when you read a quote, when it's read... It's, well, I don't know about that. Oh, well, he just said he doesn't know about it. But we just listened to how you said it. We know what you meant. Everyone knows what you meant. And I think it's the fault of not probably just George Stephanopoulos in this case, but also just the media in general, that when they have Donald Trump on the phone, play the goddamn clip. Play it. Have a short segment of it and play it over and over and say, come on, we both know Every, we have the commonality of language, you hairpiece. We know what you meant. Well, or just say, why did you talk about your own religion before making that statement? Why, why did you mention it five times? Right, but I guess, <laughs> I guess to somewhat give a defense for George Stephanopoulos, I would say that he can't push Trump too much or you know, look what happens in the case of Megyn Kelly. Then you risk maybe Trump not coming back on the show and maybe you need him to come on the show. Because it's a business. Yeah. Yeah. But can I can I talk about what Trump tweeted after he found out that he was losing in Iowa real quick? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this, this actually made some news. So he retweeted a tweet from Twitter user at... My Green Hippo, who said... My Green Hippo. Who said, Ben Carson is now leading in the polls in Iowa. Too much Monsanto in the corn creates issues in the brain. And he retweeted that. He did, but then he apologized. Well... Well, let me explain first to our international listeners and those who might not know geography that well, that the Iowa is a farm state and is also a corn state. It is an agriculture. That is where I would say the the bulk of industry and the economy is based is corn. So when you attack Monsanto and when you attack the corn lobby or whatever, you're that's you're going right at the heart of Iowans. Right. So Donald Trump apologized on behalf of a young intern. I mean, well. Kind of. So he tweeted, the young intern who accidentally did a retweet apologizes. Right. So he doesn't apologize. Mm -hmm. He just made a statement. The young intern, the young unnamed intern that we'll never know if they actually exist, they apologize. 
Right. I thought this tweet was funny. A Republican operative working for Jeb Bush's campaign in Iowa chimed in saying, Norman Borlaug, total loser. He couldn't even (laughs) save more than a billion people. A Trump GMO would. I'll tell you that. (laughs) That's a little inside baseball, but pretty good. You should look up Norman Borlaug. He is a man who saved the lives of a billion people throughout India and Mexico. And he is a pioneer of GMOs. Those dangerous, dangerous GMOs. Yeah. So let's move further into this God question. Bernie Sanders was on with Jimmy Kimmel, who is doing his show from New York City this week instead of Los Angeles. And he had Bernie on for an entire segment and asked him about his belief or not belief in God. Do you are you say you're culturally Jewish? You are you don't feel uh, religious. Do you believe in God, and do you think no. that's important to the people of the well, United you know, States? I am who I am, and what I believe in, and what my spirituality is about is that we're all in this together. That I think it is not a good thing to believe that as human beings we can turn our backs on the suffering of other people. That we should not be living. Yeah. And and this is not Judaism. This is what Pope Francis is talking about, that we cannot worship just billionaires and the making of more and more money. Life is more than that. That we are living in a nation today which has seen a proliferation of millionaires and billionaires, massive income and wealth inequality. And you know what? We have the highest rate of childhood poverty of any major country on earth. We are the only major country on earth that doesn't guarantee health care to all people as a right. The only country that doesn't have paid family and medical leave. Many other countries are providing free tuition in their public colleges and universities. So essentially what I think is we do best as human beings. We fulfill our lives when we work together rather than say, hey, I want it all and I don't care about the hungry kid down the street. I don't think that's what America should be about. I generally think I would agree with that. However, because, I mean, he listen, he is, he is, I'm sure he knows it. He's explaining what humanism is. That you, you, we cannot, as a people, turn our backs on the suffering of others. That we need to help when we can. And that we are all in this together. What bothers me is when he invokes the name of goddamn Pope Francis, as he does often, very frequently, he's talking about Pope Francis. Well, that's another way to gain points with young people. Well, not only young people, but also non-Jews, non-socialists. When you're appealing to Catholics because you're invoking the Vicar of Christ's name as though it's almost like a a tacit, it's almost like a, a subtle endorsement from the pope like a reverse endorsement i'm going to talk about the pope and if he doesn't say anything about me having talked about him then it must be because he's okay with me talking about him Hmm. but it bothers me because he doesn't mention how the pope is still opposed to condoms he's not talking about how the pope thinks that homosexuals are an abomination he's not talking about how the pope isn't prosecuting Thousands of priests who have raped children. He's not talking about any of that. But he is 
not saying I am a man of faith. He is not doing that. Which is huge. I mean, he didn't say, no, I don't believe in God, but he didn't say, yeah, I believe in God. Well, it's more of a statement. Listen, I admire him for towing the line even because most candidates, well, no candidates up to this point will say, yeah, I'm an atheist or I just don't know. Well, because 40% of Americans wouldn't vote for you. That's right. But so I will give him a little bit of uh, credit for for being bold enough to toe the line. He's right up there against that. Mm. The, the problem is here lies the problem. And it's the fact that Jimmy Kimmel mentions that he's a cultural Jew, which endears him to the evangelical audience. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a Jew. Oh, we're with Israel. Oh, rah, rah, Jews. So he gets a pass there because he is culturally Jewish. I don't know. It's 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 bizarre. But but I just wish he would quit talking about Pope Francis. What there is something he is he is getting a little bolder about though on the campaign stump. He was in Iowa at a fundraiser and he is in a very sideways way talking about Hillary Clinton and her previous opposition to gay marriage. Now today, some are trying to rewrite history by saying they voted for one anti-gay law to stop something worse. That's not the case. There was a small minority in the House opposed to discriminating against our gay brothers and sisters, and I am proud that I was one of those members. Well, in response to this, Mike Huckabee, he had something to say on the matter of gay marriage. I believe that marriage is not just a bond, but a sacred bond between a man and a woman. I have had occasion in my life to defend marriage, to stand up for marriage, to believe in the hard work and challenge of marriage. So I take umbrage at anyone who might suggest that those of us who worry about amending the Constitution are the less committed to the sanctity of marriage or to the fundamental bedrock principle that exists between a man and a woman that goes back into the midst of history as one of the founding, foundational institutions of history and humanity and civilization, and that its primary principal role during the millennia has been the raising and socializing of children into the society in which they are to become adults. So what, what is being said there, that a couple of loving gay men or gay women aren't capable of raising children? who are well-adjusted and healthy and happy. Who are capable of socializing into the society in which they are to become adults. Quote-unquote, right? Yes. Yeah, it, that is that is a deplorable, despicable statement. And I hope the audience would join me in, in a froth of anger mm-hmm. and vitriol toward the person who said it, which got to come clean here it wasn't mike huckabee who said that it happens to be hillary clinton who said that i believe that marriage is not just a bond but a sacred bond between a man and a woman i have had occasion in my life to defend marriage to stand up for marriage to believe in the hard work 
and challenge of marriage. So I take umbrage at anyone who might suggest that those of us who worry about amending the Constitution are less committed to the sanctity of marriage or to the fundamental bedrock principle that it exists between a man and a woman going back into the mists of history as one of the founding, foundational institutions of history and humanity and civilization, and that its primary principal role during those millennia has been the raising and socializing of children for the society into which they are to become adults. For those of you in our audience, for those of you American voters in our audience who are on the Hillary train, this should bother you. This should bother you that me, this was only a few years ago that she said this, and that your humble host, Jesse Dollimore, who at the time still considered himself a Republican, was, was for marriage equality. I was for marriage equality before Hillary Clinton was for marriage equality. That should be problematic for those who are solidly in the Hillary Clinton camp and shying away from Bernie Sanders. Because like him or not, agree with him or not, Bernie Sanders is the same Bernie Sanders today that he was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So that that video clip is from 2004. And Hillary Clinton is 68 years old. That's right. So this was 10 years ago yeah. when she was 58 years old. Now, that's that's quite a bit of life experience, right? Being 58 years old, you think that you would have had experiences, you know, with the LGBTQ community that would well, have led a, her. Yeah, being a Democrat, she probably has lots of gay friends. Right. But she still was maintaining this this position which is very problematic. And and I know that we've talked about it on the show before. And I have said that, you know, everyone has kind of changed their position on this. And this used to be just how people felt. But then you have people like Bernie Sanders who were right on the right side of this issue all along. So you knew it was possible. Right. Well, I always look at it as what new information. And that's what Obama says. And I'm, I am i don't know this for certain, but I'm certain it's or I'm sure it's something that uh, that she will say that she is you know, she, I, new information. I changed my mind. What new information has there been on gay marriage since 2004? What more scientifically do we know about homosexuality than we did in 2004? Nothing, nothing more. Well, I'm sure something, but to add in the favor of giving them equal rights right um but but i do think that she would get more respect if when asked you know why did you change your position you were you you were 58 when you were saying this i mean why did why have you changed your position if she would just say well it was the political it was the politically expedient thing to say do 
believe at the time. Yeah, as a Clinton though, that would be uh, that would be suicide. That would torpedo her presidential campaign. I don't know. I think people would be like, "Whoa, this is some <laughs> honesty happening right now." Yeah, maybe it would pan. Maybe it would play. Yeah, and we actually kind of appreciate the fact that you're just being honest about this yeah. instead of continuing to lie. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure what you're saying is right. It would not go over well, but I'm saying it would be better than lying and saying, oh, I just got new information. Yeah, because you didn't get new information. Gays are the same decent Americans now as they were 11 years ago. And you are either a coward who can't face the political scrutiny or you were a bigot. It's really, it's it's one of the two. Well, I hate to put up, use a logical fallacy, but it is. It's a matter of those two. If you're like me and, and fall mostly on the left. More of a lefty than a righty. Right, as I always say. And when Mitt Romney was running, you called him a flip-flopper, like I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, because he was. Yes. Then you have to admit here, you have to be honest, even though it's your side... And it's, you know, your lefty person, you still have to kind of come down on this and be like, yeah, this sucks. Right. This is a bummer. She's flip flopped on this issue. And this is not just the TPP. This isn't the Trans-Pacific Partnership. This is a big deal because this is about civil rights, human rights, people's dignity. And she's saying that throughout the annals of time and the myths of history and blah, 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 she might as well be fucking Ken Ham or Mike Huckabee, like we did the old switcheroo, the old trickster trick. And I, I feel very manipulative having taken part in that. Brittany was not happy about having to do that. In fact, she just read the quote straight. She wasn't happy about it. So you should know that audience. I thought there. I read it better than Hillary Clinton said it, though. I was real good. I was easygoing about tricking you. <laughs> Brittany, ah, not so much. <laughs> yeah. So love Brittany, because as everybody knows... Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. <laughs> apparently that's not going away, mm-hmm. even at my own hand. Yes. <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> If you have something to say about this, any of this, even the little trickster thing we did, we want to hear from you. 657-464-7609, or of course, you can email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Both of those contact pieces of information are also good for the Thanksgiving episode submission. Thanksgiving, for those of you who are in America and don't know because you're clueless, or for those of you who are in Europe and don't fucking follow uh, American holidays, Thanksgiving is November 26th. So I need these by November 19th or 20th. Please submit to me and Brittany Page, or at the very least, just submit them to Brittany Page because you love her and she's the best part. Moving on. It looks like Ireland has an issue with schools, has an issue with public schools and baptism. Instead of starting school last month, Reuben Murphy found himself back in his Dublin nursery for another year as his mother, Nikki, reembarked on her quest to find a place at a state 
at a local state primary for her four-year-old son. She has already applied to 15 schools. But following rejections from nine last year, Murphy is far from confident that a place will be found for her son. In a country where more than 90% of state schools are run by the Catholic Church, unbaptized children like him are at the bottom of their admissions list. A drive to repeal the legislation that allows Irish schools to operate admissions criteria based on faith is gathering momentum. More than 16,000 people have backed a petition to be presented to Parliament in the next couple of weeks, and campaigners are determined to raise the issue of unbaptized children in next year's general election. According to Patty Moynihan... Wow! A Dublin... That might be the most Irish goddamn name that has ever been uttered. Patty with two Ds. According to... A Dublin barrister (laughs) who launched the petition, the law is an unconstitutional anachronism in a country that saw the second biggest drop globally in those claiming to be religious in recent years. A win slash Gallup global poll found that 47% of Irish respondents identified themselves as religious in 2011, compared with 69% in 2005, a drop of 22%. Wow. But religion is still firmly entrenched in the country's education system, with 9 out of 10 schools run by the Catholic Church. Another 6% are managed by other denominations and religions. All are required to follow a standard curriculum with 30 minutes a day ring-fenced for religious instruction. 30 minutes a day? That's That's the least of the problems that I have here. It's that public monies, and listen... I don't have a dog in the fight because my public monies aren't going in support of that 30 minutes a day of religious instruction. But also that children, whether they be well-qualified academically, well-qualified intellectually, they're not getting a seat at the table because they haven't played the, the, the game of mythology. They haven't been baptized through some wacky ceremony into the, the 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 religion of choice. Schools are permitted to set admissions criteria, which usually place local Catholic local Catholic children at the top and unbaptized children at the bottom, with as many as half a dozen categories in between. In Dublin and other cities where good schools are oversubscribed, the parents of unbaptized children are forced to search in ever widening circles. In making a case for the repeal of the law. Patty Moynihan cites Article three <laughs> of the Irish Constitution, quote, The state shall not impose any disabilities or make any discrimination on the ground of religious profession, belief, or status. So it seems like a constitutional issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's bizarre to me. I don't know how many, how many listeners we have in the UK, but I'd love to hear what they have to say about this. This, is, this seems clearly in opposition to freedom. And the state staying the fuck out of religion, which isn't necessarily what they do over there, because uh, the United Kingdom, there is a precedent of subsidy for the church from the state. And that's, you know, over here, that's a, a goddamn nightmare. So. Moving on to another topic of religion, the Mormons are doing what Mormons do when laws changed And public opinion sways, and they're kind of slowly shifting their story on gay marriage. Mm. 
kind of. It's a, it's a it's a little bit of a shift. They still have a deep opposition to same-sex marriage, but let's but, get into this. But but Okay, in a speech this week about the boundaries between church and state, Dallin Oaks, a high-ranking apostle in the church, said that public officials like Ms. Kim Davis, the clerk in Round County, Kentucky, had a duty to follow the law, despite her religious convictions. Quote, Office holders remain free to draw upon their personal beliefs and motivations and advocate their positions in the public square. But when acting as public officials, they are not free to apply personal convictions, religious or other, in place of the defined responsibilities of their public office. All government officers should exercise their civil authority according to the principles and within the limits of civil government. Referring to Kim Davis without naming her, Elder Oaks said, quote, A county clerk's recent invoking of religious reasons to justify refusal by her office and staff to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples violates this principle. Hmm. Pretty bold. It, it is pretty bold, but it's also kind of in line with what they do. You know, listen, oh, you guys are a bunch of polygamists. We're not going to allow Utah to have statehood until you clear that up and then almost immediately oh well we god just talked to the prophet and oh what a coincidence polygamy is no longer allowed i mean it's it's the same kind of thing they wait until public opinion is against them they wait until the tide of political progress is against them and then all of a sudden they change their minds. To me, it's pretty transparent. Maybe I'm cynical. It's very likely I'm cynical. Well, we'll see what happens, and things always change. <laughs> Especially with the Mormon church. <laughs> Some things change later than they should. Right. So once again, I want to implore you. I want to encourage you. I want to drive you toward your telephone 657-464-7609 why are you smirking over there Brittany page because i'm just thinking of other words to add in like nagging torturing no i <laughs> wanted to be positive oh okay i'm Sorry. not thinking like a woman mm, oh wow that is not bias free language <laughs> no good <laughs> what what does that have to do with anything? When I think of nagging, that's the sound that comes to mind. Fair. <laughs> that's fair. 657-464-7609. Again, please submit to us the things for which you are thankful. If you want an example of some of the things that were submitted last year, you can either go to YouTube, to Dollamore, that's the channel, and you can look at the submission. I just... Copy and pasted the audio, and it's there, just the audio. Or you can go to the Facebook page, and it's the top pinned submit. It's the top pinned post. It's a lot of uh, a lot of peas, pretty page. Mm-hmm. Go do that. We would love it. <laughs> to end this episode, though, we want to leave you feeling good about humanity. Taking care of biz. Nicholas Neasley. Wait, what? Nicholas Neasley. Uh, I said Ned Schneebly, like from the the, not the to be school of rock. Not to be confused with Ronald Weasley. <laughs> 
breaking out the old terrible British accent. The huh? really good English accent. Yeah. So Nicholas Neasley, an eight-year-old who goes to Jennings Elementary School in Quincy, Michigan, saw a friend being picked on and pushed around on the playground by a fifth grader. While attempting to defuse the situation, Nicholas was spit on. Uh, one of the worst things in the world, by the way. Yeah. To be spat upon. Yes. No good. Mm-hmm. Rather than respond with anger, the third grader wrote a note addressed to the school earlier this month he offering an alternative <laughs> to bullying. He fired off a tersely worded email, huh? He did. It's like when you get bad service in a restaurant. I'm going to email the corporate headquarters. Now, reading this will be very easy for me because it's in handwriting that looks like mine. So, <laughs> It's also probably very elementary language. No, yes. no pun intended. Mm, that was mean. Okay. Dear school. He's in elementary school. No, I thought you were talking about me being able to read it. Oh, no. Elementary language. Dear school, you don't. Dear school. Yes, he wrote it to the school. Oh, all right. You don't have to bully. If you don't. Is the school bullying? No, he's giving. Or am I just being a dick? I know. What's wrong with you? No. (laughs) Rather than respond with anger, the third grader wrote a note addressed to the school earlier this month offering an alternative to bullying. Oh, maybe he means like to to the the entire school, like everyone who goes to the school. Oh, okay. okay. Dear school, you don't have to bully. If you don't have any friends, just make a friend. It's very simple. But you already have a friend. Us. We will help you. We will be one, respectful, two, responsible, three, caring to you. Sincerely, Nick Neasley. P.S. No more. Stop the bullying. Wow. Pretty good. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. I'm glad that that someone got this a little media because more kids need to step up in the void for for kids who were being bullied. Right. He said that he wanted to send a message of compassion to the fifth grade student. He said, quote, I wanted to touch his heart. Pretty good, <laughs> even though the fifth grader is the one who's being a dick. I know, but isn't that sweet? Yeah, very, sweet. I mean, very that's just sweet. such a great story. I, well, I was a, a guy who was bullied in, in school. Listen. Wait a minute. Let me tell you were something. You, were you really? Are, are you fucking kidding me? Let me tell you something. <laughs> Growing up redheaded. People and love smaller, gingers. And yeah, they love <laughs> gingers. Jesus Christ. I don't know what alternate universe you grew up in. But being a smaller than average human being when you're a child mm-hmm. and redheaded, it, you know, it forces you into the bullied type. Uh-huh. And I, I you know, there's a couple of defense mechanisms that spring. Mm-hmm. One is you, you learn how to, you know, put up your dukes, so to speak. Yeah. And the other is you learn how to crack a joke or two. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I learned how to... Put up the dukes and that's it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just can't win with you, Brittany Page. Well, I have I have so many great bullying stories, but um, one of my favorites is when I was being bullied in third grade. One of your favorite being bullied stories. Yeah. I was being bullied relentlessly by this kid. He just made my life miserable. He was a guy. And um, this was third grade, actually, the same grade as this kid. And I just got so fed up with it one day that I decided to write a note. And I said, meet me on the playground at lunch. Right. Third grade in America is like eight years old. Right. So I said, meet me on the playground at lunch. We're going to fight and we're going to end this. I I wrote this. Taking care of biz, Brittany Page. I handed him the note and 
I was ready to fight him. I like, I remember it so distinctly. I was so nervous. My palms were sweating, but I was like, I have to do this. I have to fight this kid because he needs to stop. This is the only thing that'll make him stop. (laughs) And so I'm waiting, I'm waiting on the playground with my arms crossed. Like I'm this little eight year old kid, you know, and he comes up to me. He's like, Hey, you know, I don't want to fight. So I'll just, I'll stop. I'll stop being mean. Sometimes that's all it takes. And I was like, that's right. You will. (laughs) (laughs) And then I ended up going to high school with him and everything. So that was kind of interesting. Did he continue to to bully you? No, we generally avoided each other because I think it's embarrassing for him that he (laughs) stood down. (laughs) Right. That is awesome. Yeah. Listen, there's no better way to end the show than with Brittany Brittany Page staring down a bully. A physical gangrenous bully, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or just an eight-year-old boy? <laughs> okay, so let's go back to who the focus of taking All care of biz right. was. Nicholas Neasley. Good job. Nicholas Neasley kicking ass, taking names with your letter to the school and your your cry of compassion. And hopefully, maybe he did touch that kid's heart. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this parents heard about this through the news and dealt with it in their own way. In an appropriate way. Yeah, like grounded him for like 10 years. Or something more reasonable. You don't think 10 year grounding is good? <laughs> no. All right. Goddamn, I can't do anything right. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you joining us as often as you do. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, to your favorite show filled with news, news and ridiculous comment, you can go to dollamore.com and on the left-hand side of the page, there is an Amazon search bar. If you're going to spend your money anyway, why not help us out by buying a book or some sweet electronics or some other secret thing that you do while you're online? We won't know. It'll just be between you and Amazon. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. I do think that he has likely had a rib removed so he can fillet himself. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.